everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Wednesday, January 18th. Amanda Borchel done here with our diplomatic correspondent, Lisa Behrman, and our health reporter, Nathan Jeff A. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Lisa. Good morning. Glad to have you. And boy, do we have a lot to discuss. We'll hear about a diplomatic fracas on the way to the Temple Mount yesterday, a really promising peptide that could stop the spread of cancer, an update on Ukraine and for dessert, the science of silliness. But first, a short break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachuk Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. And we're back. Lisa, let's start with you. Just as you're putting together an analysis this week on the status of the status quo at religious sites, Jordan's ambassador to Israel's visit to the Temple Mount got a whole lot of media attention. What happened up there yesterday? Yeah, I think it's important to put this in the context of the status quo because that's why uh, this was so, it might seem like a very minor incident that kind of spun out of control, but it once you understand the context, I think it makes more sense as to why this is so fraught. So I'll explain first of all what happened. Jordan's ambassador to Israel, Hassan Majali, was making an uncoordinated visit to the Temple Mount, which he's allowed to do. He doesn't have to coordinate his visits. A police officer at the site at Lionsgate saw there was an entourage coming in, asked him just wait a second just so he could report it um, back to his commander. This is according to the police. And the ambassador was upset. A verbal altercation broke out and the ambassador left. Jordan then summoned Israel's ambassador in Amman Eitan Circus uh, for a dressing down. They gave him a letter which was by reports pretty uh, harshly worded. And eventually later in the day, the ambassador um, the Jordanian ambassador was able to to go up to the Temple Mount, and and there were no problems. So he did go up there. Now, why does this? Why didn't he just wait for a second? And and why was he so uh, quick to walk away? And and why why did Jordan uh, react so so harshly? Jordan sees itself and its legitimacy as based on the protector of of the Al Aqsa Mosque and the Haram Sharif, as they call it, the Temple Mount. They do not see Israel as, ha- as having any legitimacy there in terms of administering what goes on. They see themselves as the custodian of Jerusalem's holy sites. And they see what Israel tries to do in terms of its security ra- arrangements as a violation of this status quo that you mentioned. Now, we ri- might remember a couple weeks ago, we had new uh, National Security Minister Itamar Bengvir go up to the Temple Mount, and there was condemnations from Israel's allies as well, including the United States and in Europe and also its Gulf allies, that this uh, started to make them uncomfortable about whether Israel was committed to the status quo. Now, this idea of the status quo, it is doesn't really apply to the Temple Mount. 
uh, I'll, I'll, I'll write about that later this week. There is a written status quo from Ottoman times that refer to uh, Christian holy sites, which tries to reduce conflict between the, the, the different Christian communities here. And that word has been used, loosely applied to other fraught sites in Israel, including Temple Mount or the Western Wall. Sometimes it's talking about Isra- uh, Jewish Muslim disagreements. Sometimes it's intra-Jewish disagreements. Um, and sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's Christian Jewish Muslim. But there's nothing written about how the status quo on the Temple Mount is supposed to be. There was never any agreement between the sides that actually laid it out. The police don't even have a written order about what the status quo is. There are a series of informal understandings, agreements, arrangements that have worked through time since 1967, but those are changing. Um, sometimes they break down, sometimes they're restored, and, and it's it's a flexible modus vivendi, which allows both sides to live and to, and to uh, mostly uh, operate in peace and be able to work together. But to say that there's some strict written status quo of the Temple Mount is simply not true. And I'm going to lay it out this week. But obviously, this misunderstanding and both sides are trying to push on it is the, the background for this seemingly minor incident, which blew up into a medium-sized diplomatic incident, but which uh, is something that both sides certainly can move on from. But we should expect more Temple Mount incidents as the as time goes along with this government and with Jordan being very, very touchy about this. Just to illustrate how touchy Jordan is, on their dinar, their recently released dinar, is, of course, the Dome of the Rock, which I think is a pretty telling sign of how strongly they feel about the Temple Mount and, and their status there. Wouldn't you agree, Laser? Absolutely. And we're never going to agree on this, uh, Israel and Jordan. Again, you always see them saying we are the custodians of Jerusalem's holy sites, which means Muslim and Christian. And Israel has only agreed to the fact that they have a special status in Muslim holy sites, especially the Temple Mount, and that will be taken into consideration in final status agreements. But Israel has never agreed to a custodianship and certainly does not believe uh, that they have exclusive rights on the Temple Mount. Okay, Laser, turning to uh, something rather just a horrible, grim situation that we have, Hamas released a video taken of, it claims, Israeli prisoner Avera Mengitsu, which was apparently verified by his family and confirmed by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu yesterday. Now, now, in terms of Hamas's geopolitical strategy, why would the group release the video now, Laser? Sure. So they said it was pegged to the change of uh, IDF chief of staff. So we had Kochavi um, being switched out by Herzi Halevi, and they said this was a warning or a sign to Herzi Halevi that he should actually sit down, talk to them, and get this uh, prisoner exchange done. The real reason is they clearly want to do a prisoner exchange. They're reminding Israel that uh, these people are alive. They're trying to create some pressure from the Israeli public to bring this issue back into the headlines, and obviously they have. And they are signaling that they're open to an exchange. Obviously, an exchange would be similar to what we've seen in the past in Lebanon and also um, with Hamas with the Gilad Shalit exchange in 2011, that they expect many, many more terrorists to be released from prison than, uh, you know, what what could they give back to Israel? It would be two living civilians, uh, Hisham al-Said, who's an Israeli Bedouin, and um, Avera Mengistu, who's who's an Ethiopian Israeli, both of them civilians, nothing to do with the military, and then there are the remains 
of Hadar Golden and Oren Shaul from the 2014 operation. So that's what they can offer, two living and two soldiers' bodies. They're expecting, I'm sure, hundreds um, of prisoners to be released. Many uh, would be people with blood on their hands. So this is what they want to do. Some of it, I'm sure, comes with pressure in the Gaza Strip that, uh, as we know, the the conditions there are not good. There is frustration with Hamas rules. Some of that can be seen in that video series Times of Israel released earlier this week where Hamas residents are speaking out as much as they can about the brutality of, of Hamas's rule. Um, and this would be something that would not only boost them within the Gaza Strip and within the Palestinian sphere, but even within the Arab world, showing that they are the ones uh, that can release these heroes in their eyes from, uh, from Israeli prisons. Thanks for that, Nazar. We'll go to a short break. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. And we're back. Nathan, let's turn to you. And yesterday's report on a Bar-Ilan University-produced peptide that just may stop tumors causing secondary cancers. It's obviously nowhere near being on the market yet, but break it down for us in the meantime. Yeah, sure. So today, the majority of uh, cancer medication works by trying to shrink and address the actual tumor. Um, but as we all know, tragically, uh, often people get secondary cancers, the spread of cancer. And a team of scientists at Barilan University have been trying very hard to address this fact, the fact that once people have cancer, secondary cancer can often make them very sick or indeed kill them. So what they've actually produced is a peptide, which is a string of amino acids that actually interferes with the function of cells, with the ability of cells to basically hammer their way into our blood and spread around the body. Now, they've, I mean, people can read the full details of this in our report, which actually links to the original peer-reviewed piece. But the long and short of it is that they've actually tested this peptide on mice and found that the effectiveness rate of its prevention of secondary cancers is over 90%. What that means is if you have a set of mice with breast cancer who receive this peptide and a group that don't, 
the effectiveness rate of the group that's getting it compared to the other group is some 90%, which really shows great promise. Now, what we need to emphasize, as you said, Amanda, is that this is quite preliminary research. This is basically what might be the raw ingredients of a drug, but not the drug itself. It will take time to develop this into a drug. But this is very exciting and very interesting, especially given that it's quite rare for medicines to actually go on this kind of path of preventing the secondary cancer. Super exciting. Thanks, Nathan. Now, Lazer, back to you. The New York Times has reported that the United States is moving stockpiles of some maybe 300,000 artillery shells from Israel to Ukraine. So do you think that this movement of munitions will affect Israel's relations with Russia? Yeah, so this is something that people had been kind of keeping an eye on occasionally because there is this uh, large stockpile of U.S. munitions and other uh, types of weaponry in Israel. Uh, this has been the case since 1973, since since that airlift um, of, of of weapons and and tanks and the like that that allowed Israel to turn the tide there. Um, and it's something that is here. It's not talked about that much, but it's something that Israel has used. It's called the War Reserve Stocks for Allies, Israel, WRSAI. Um, and this is something that the U.S. has wanted um, to send. It, it was discussed with the um, with the Lapid-Bennett administration, so before Bennett came into office, and they decided to allow the U.S. to use it. Again, this is U.S. Uh, munitions. Now, the question is, how will Russia react? I'm sure they don't love it, but there are serious interests keeping Israel and Russia from blowing this relationship up, the bilateral relationship. And I don't think this is something that is going to tip it. it again, it's it's not Israel that's sending it. This is U.S. has been the main supplier of Ukraine. This continues to be the U.S. Again, this pulls Israel into it a little bit. Um, but I don't think this is going to overpower the the very strong interest in trade and cultural ties, a need for security cooperation, and Russia's need for um, Western partners and people in the West that they can talk to, and their need for mediators, which Israel can be one, um, in Putin's personal relationship with Netanyahu. These are all very strong um, factors keeping the the Israel-Russia relationship going. And I don't think the fact that America is supplying the Ukraine as it has in the past um, with munitions that are stored in Israel is going to be anything that that uh, is the tipping point. Just one more question on the munitions. Uh, you said they were put here in the 70s. Is there some kind of shelf life on them? Are they still viable or are they switched out all the time? Uh, yeah, let me clarify. The policy of the U.S. forward storing these uh, its its own munitions that Israel can use in times of emergency started in the, in 1973. Um, but these are much newer munitions. These are not uh, sitting around from 1973. But Israel has used it in 2006. In 2014, Israel has taken from that stockpile, and then the U.S. backfills it when there's not an emergency, and it makes the whole process. Uh, much easier instead of Israel having to wait for it for America to ship it. It also obviously serves um, American interests. It's in the past it's been more involved in fighting the Middle East, but to have um, secure and significant stockpiles uh, already in the region that it can draw on if it needs. Really fascinating. 
Now, finally, let's hear about the science of silliness. Israel, it turns out, is a leader in medical clowning, and a new study documents the method behind the madness. Nathan, did I steal all of your puns from your article? No, no, we good, we good. Israel does lead in medical clowning. I remember many years ago when I went to uh, Nepal after the earthquake at the field hospital there. Even there, there were medical clowns because they are seen as quite an integral part of the medical process here in Israel. And there's a very large uh, nonprofit uh, called Dream Doctors, which does a lot of work in medical clowning. Um, what's happened now is that academics from Tel Aviv University decided to actually monitor this process and break it down and really detail what happens when the clowns are with patients, which may sound like a slightly strange thing to do, but is exceedingly helpful. And the reason it's so helpful is because if you're a doctor in a busy hospital, you may meet clowns occasionally. You will kind of probably grit your teeth while they're kind of doing crazy stuff when you just want to be getting on with a procedure. And there's very little time to actually understand what it is that clowns do. However, if you've got it laid out in an academic article really elaborating the skills of clowns, it really makes doctors think, ah, maybe there are opportunities for me to use the skills, maybe there are more opportunities to work together, maybe there are certain processes that we can be doing together, things that they may not think about even. For example, the ability of clowns to actually get people to sustain and stick with a course of treatment. So there's loads of interesting reading uh, for doctors in this peer-reviewed research and lots of insights on medical clowning. So it's kind of one of those studies that will really kind of have an effect. It will really push medical clowning more into the mainstream. And I think that's a great contribution of Israeli research. So basically, it's letting the doctors read about it in their own terms, in their own language, in order to incorporate this medical clowning in a more effective way in hospitals. Absolutely. In their own terms, the article is even handwritten in tiny, scrawly writing that nobody can understand. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks so much, Nathan. Thank you, Laser, for joining me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.